0: Thanks, Jim. As the choir was singing and I saw the, the water dripping off and the sunlight out of that thing, I just felt that sense of joy, that thankfulness. Um, specifically thinking thankful that God has brought me here to be with you, that God has called us together. The last time we had the choir sing was the first Sunday that I was with you all. It was that Sunday before COVID when um, I had come to sort of interview and uh, you got to test me out and, uh, you know, one of those uh, see if he can preach kind of sermons and I was able to fake my way through it. And uh, But I, I mean, I remember the choir singing then and the joyfulness and so that just all came back to mind as I, I was with you all. So I just praise God I believe God has called this congregation together. And for those who are visiting with us, I believe God brought you here this morning. And I believe God wants to speak to us and guide us and lead us. And he wants us to experience the joy of walking with Jesus. One Christmas, I was chastised by my dad. He, They were having a Christmas party for his his workplace, um, a factory, and I only remember them doing it once um, for some reason, and, and I specifically remember driving in, and the, it was a traditional thing, like there was a Santa giving all the kids gifts, and I, I was probably seven or eight years old, and so you got in line, and I remember Santa, sitting on Santa's lap, and then they just handed you a gift out of a random pile. And I got something like this it's like a um remember it was like a pinball thing, but mechanical you know, and you try to get the land where you want and I wasn't pleased with my gift and i said i want, want I want that and i I wanted something else and my dad chastised me, you'd be you know um he says, no, when you get a gift you ex- you be thankful not just." Say your thanks, not just say thanks, but be thankful for the gift you've received and not complain about wanting a different gift. And that's an important lesson for kids to learn, right? That, That you don't complain about the gift you didn't get. Instead, you're thankful for the gift you've received. And I think it's something that kids should learn. I think it's sometimes adults need reminded of. Because we can get to that point that, you know, we're not always thankful for what we get and want something different. And, and sometimes even the gift. I, I've heard adults say that Jesus is not quite the gift that they wanted. That they wanted something different from God. Something, a different kind of gift. Maybe the kind of phrase, why couldn't God have come up with some better way? Of bringing salvation, why did it have to go like this? I listen to many podcasts, but one of them I listen to is called the Unbelievable Podcast. I would recommend it, especially if you're a little bit of a theology Bible nerd. It it's um it's out of England, and Justin Briarley he brings together two people on opposite sides of an issue, usually a Christian and a non-Christian. And they talk about things of faith, and they talk about very, um, you know, they make sure everyone has a chance to share their side. There's no arguing or fighting or, you know, nastiness. It's just they each kind of talk about different aspects of this. And one that I listened to recently was a dialogue between a believer and a non-believer, and the the Christian was making the point that that we get. You know, as you go through the Bible from Old Testament to New, you, you see and understand more of God, and that only in Jesus do we begin to fully understand what God is like. And that was the point he was making. The response of the, the atheist, whose name is Leslie Scrace, and he at one point was a minister, he's a former minister, who's now quite critical of Christianity, Christian beliefs. Here's, here's I, it, what he said stuck out to me so much I, I wrote it down. He he says, why should Abraham not have been allowed to see God in all his fullness? Why do we have to wait for Jesus? I don't feel that that is fair for the human race. Why did we have to wait for Jesus? Why couldn't God have just shown himself to Abraham or to whomever? And so it's not that saying, another way of saying he didn't like the gift that God had given. He wanted God to do it a different way. Wanted God to bring salvation some other way than the way that God chose to do it. But his questions, one worth thinking about. Why do we have to wait for Jesus? Or another way to say that same question, why was the incarnation necessary? Why was that the necessary way of salvation? We talked about the incarnation last Sunday. And that is the idea that that the Son of God came in the flesh. That the one who was divine from the beginning, the Word took on flesh and made his dwelling in our midst. The incarnation. So today my goal is to to deal with that question, answer that question. And so we're going to look first at Hebrews 1 our main text, because I think that hits on that very same question. Now, I realize as you go through Hebrews 1, there's, it quotes a lot of Old Testament scriptures, and you can get lost, maybe as even you were hearing that read. It's like, what point is it trying to make? I want to try to separate that out and help you see what point he was making in Hebrews 1. And it comes back to this question, why was the incarnation necessary? And then, after looking at our main text, I'm going to pull together four reasons Um, Why I see the incarnation being necessary to God's salvation plan. Why? Why was that the way God chose? So Hebrews 1. If you had to come up with an overall theme of Hebrews chapter 1 it would be this. The Son alone could fulfill God's work of salvation. Only the Son could have done that work. Fulfill that work. So in verses 1 to 3, it's starting off, the Son is not like the human messengers or the prophets of the past. It starts off saying, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That, that's saying that God had been at work amongst the people of Israel, his chosen people, for centuries, generations and he had been communicating to them over and over again. And it would be to them through whom the Messiah would come. That was my message way back at the beginning of Advent. That God would, would bring salvation through one particular people. And that God through many ways and various, various ways and times, God's been speaking, revealing. And you could say he did it bit by bit. God was, was conveying himself to humanity, starting with his one chosen people. What, in other words, if, if you go back to the Leslie's Grace's question, Abraham wasn't ready to see or understand what God is like. God had to do it bit by bit until we got to Jesus. So, um, God spoke to the prophets in the past. Then verse 2, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. The coming of Jesus is a completely different way of God coming into the world. He is not merely another representative. Instead, he is one who's active. It, it kind of lists all the things that the son, son has done. Um, he was appointed the heir of all things. So he's, he's the one who's to inherit everything. He was active in the creation of the world. Um, it says that he's the radiance of God's glory. So think about that. If you know, as God, God shines out, Jesus is what you see. And then it says he's the exact imprint of God's nature of, or of God's substance. He's the exact imprint. And, and then it says he's one who upholds the universe by his word. Does not, does not that call you to, to John? Um, the verse we looked at in the past where it says the Word was with God, the Word was God, the Word became flesh. So the Son is the one, the Word, who upholds the universe. But I want to go back for a minute to that word where it says He's the exact imprint of God's nature. That word for imprint is, is the Greek word that, that would mean the, the wax imprint you would leave by a signet ring. So if you'd picture a king would have a a signet ring and a very elaborately etched design on it. And if he wanted to say that this this order came from him, he would press the signet ring into the wax seal. That is the word it used for what Jesus is of God Almighty. Jesus is the the wax imprint, the exact um, imprint of God's very substance. So that is the Son. In God's salvation project to reclaim people, to reclaim humanity, to bring them back, to bring us to salvation, no human leader could have fulfilled the work. No, no, no prophet, no priest, no king, no great man of humanity. No conquering gen- general. If you look at the, the leaders in the Bible, though they may have done great things for God, at some point they all stumbled. They all fell on their own. No human representative could bring about what God needed to do. As we're going to look at next week, no, no would, none would be worthy to open the scroll. Salvation would necessarily need to come from above, from a divine source into our world. So that's what Hebrews 1, 1 to 3 is saying. But then that leaves an open thing. Could God have sent someone from heaven like an angel? Could a divine spiritual being, could an angel like Gabriel, could they have done the work of bringing salvation, fulfilling God's salvation plan? And so verses 4 to 14, the theme is the sun is not like the angels or other spiritual beings in God's presence. The sun is something completely different. So in verse 4, 4 to 6, it contrasts um, the sun to the angels. So the sun, it, it, it says it, it, he's called by God the Son. Um, I will be a father to him. He's this relationship with God. God Almighty, God the Father, and God the Son. It also says that, that he is not um, created. He is begotten. So it's for which, to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son today, I have begotten you. Begotten is a special word. It is, it is different from created. Jesus was not created. The Son was not created He was begotten of the Father. He he flowed from the Father rather than being created at any point in time. You can't look back at a time when Jesus had not been. As, as, As was the Father, so there was the Son. He was begotten of the Father, not created by the Father. The angels, as well as humans, are all created beings. We all came into existence at a point in time but the Son is begotten of the Father. It also talks about how His name is superior to that of the angels. His name is distinguished, more excellent. Um, and we see that. It says, it says the angels worship the Son. You know, Christmas Eve, we're going to read, you know, with the angels, the multitude of the heavenly host, praising God for the birth of Jesus, the Incarnation, the angels looked at what God was doing on Christmas morning and they could hardly believe it. You're doing what? God Himself is taking on flesh? So, verses 7 to 9 continues this distinguishment between the Son and angels. It talks about how the, um, it's another contrast, the angels, He makes them as, as winds, or they are flames of fire. Now, there's a lot of power in fire. And, and there, are, there is power that angelic beings are not to be messed with. But they're also impermanent, right? They're a flame, bursts up, and it's gone. It's, it's, it's not solid. But when it speaks of the sun, it speaks of his scepter, and his kingdom. It says your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. the 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 sun holds holds the power. the There's a There's a solidness to it. He, the sun, became flesh. He's not impermanent. He is He is solid and permanent. Um, and it's also not just the power that mentions. It talks about the um the scepter of of righteousness. And it says, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. Anointed is the same word for Messiah. um, Has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. So the Messiah needed to be righteous. And the Son could alone fulfill that. Verses 10 to 12 continues this, this distinction between the Son and the any other angelic beings, and it talks about how the sun was there at the foundation of the earth. He was there at the beginning, says, and says, then the heavens are the work of your hands. So speaking about the permanence of Christ, um, and it says even more, the sun precedes creation. Before this world before the universe took shape, before the stars started swirling, before the Milky Way and Andromeda Galaxy, before any of that, the sun was. In the beginning was the Word. The sun precedes creation. He was there at creation. And then it says, and you will outlast creation. It says they will all wear out like a garment, but you remain. They perish and in fact, you will, like, like a, a, a robe, you're going to roll them up one day. But you are the same, and your years have no end. So the sun was there at the beginning. The sun will be there at the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega, beginning and the end. Verses 13 and 14, you get the final contrast. And it's rather simple. Angels are servants. The angels are sent as ministering presences to, to serve people, people who are due to inherit salvation. There's even the sense of, so we're made lower than angels when we become human beings, but because we're made in the image of God, we actually will be greater than the angels when we are fully redeemed. And that angels are there as minister to minister to serve us And the son himself, he is given charge over the earth. It says that, that, the, that God will give the son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. It's talking about how the son will be given charge over the earth, even those who are at this point his enemies. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So the son is given charge. So the, that's, there's all these contrasts. And it's pointing out to this idea that no spirit being, no heavenly power like an angel could somehow accomplish the work of salvation. And neither could a human leader do it. It had to be the son. What we needed is one who would be fully divine, but yet also fully human. It, it couldn't be one, just one or the other. We needed one who was fully human because we needed someone who would identify with us. That's, he goes on to say that in Hebrews. So if you get Hebrews 2, verse 17, it says, for this reason he, meaning the son, had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Only with an incarnation could the Savior be both fully God and fully human at the same time. It's only in the incarnation could Jesus accomplish that work of atonement. There are four things that, that, that because of the incarnation, Jesus could do for his people. Um. Four reasons why you would say it was necessary. And they're rather simple. One is to enable us to know what God is like. It says that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. John says, no one has ever seen God Almighty. But the only God, the Son, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. So the Son can make known the Father. And here's what we see in the life of Christ. We see that the character of God in responding to situations and people. I still think about how how did Jesus respond to inconvenient crowds. says, when he saw them, he had compassion for them because he saw they were like sheep without a shepherd. How did Jesus react to, to the leper? How did Jesus react to the, the woman who, who um, ha, was bent over and needed healed? Where others thought they were annoyances or wanted to get away from Jesus, cared for them. He showed the character of God in, in all these ways. Jesus could show us what God is like. So the incarnation was necessary for us to know what God is like. A second reason that I see emphasized in in the Christmas scriptures or other passages about the coming of the Messiah is that God, or Jesus, could bring God near to people. Emmanuel, that the child would be born, that we called Emmanuel, God with us. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That Jesus would be able to bring God near to us. Within reach. So another verse talks about how he came and brought peace to you who are far away. Peace to those who are near. Because through him we have access to the Father by the Spirit. So Jesus came to bring God near, within reach. He is not far from any of us. His love for us is real. But sometimes God seems distant because we don't understand him. Because we can't see him. Jesus brought God within reach of any person who's willing to, to reach out for him. And if you're here this morning, maybe that's the one thing you need to hear. Maybe you felt God is distant. Maybe you're, you're still trying to figure out what the whole, whole Christian thing's about, what the Bible's about. Maybe you've gotten confused. You've heard a lot of different preachers, a lot of different stuff. Just know this. In Jesus, God comes near enough for you to, to get in, for you to reach him for you to find him. And if you don't know anything else, just say, God, I want to know you. Help me learn about Jesus so I can find you. Start with that prayer and see what God does. The third thing that happens because of the incarnation is Jesus came to deal with our sin problem. All human beings, all mankind, has fallen short of God's intentions for us. We were made in the image of God, but none of us has lived up to that. We were made to walk with God, but we all have walked astray. We were made to do what is right, but we've done wrong. We've done wrong in our words, our deeds. In so many ways we can't count. Someone had to make provision so that we can be forgiven. Jesus came as the human representative. See, this is why he had to be fully human. God could not just impose it from above. It had to be one who was in our midst and with us. And back to Hebrews, again, Hebrews 2, verse 9. It says, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So he had to be made lower than the angels, made human, so that he might taste death as our our representative. So as Adam was our initial representative, Adam being the first, first man, he failed. Christ would be the new Adam who would would succeed in in standing right and being faithful and doing what needs. So he would be our new representative who would be faithful to God unto death. Last week, I I threw out an idea um, just just to connect it. Um, So last week I talked about how where Eve had failed to listen to God's word and trust it, that, that Mary, in a sense, could be considered a new representative for, for womankind. So where Eve had failed, um, Mary, the mother of Jesus, would hear the word and trust it and believe. And in a sense, become a new representative. And that's in the same way now that as Adam had failed, Jesus, as, our, as a human, would be our new representative. And then the fourth thing. God, um, the incarnation could do, was necessary for, is to bring God's kingdom to earth over and over again. In fact, probably the most common thing that's mentioned when you talk about the coming of Christ or the son is this idea that he's coming to bring God's kingdom, meaning God's rule upon the earth to lead God's people. That, that there's something about us, we just can't be quite ruled in the same way from a distant spirit presence in heaven we needed one in our midst one to rule us who would walk with us and that's what jesus came to do there's a, there's a fascinating prophecy in in daniel 7 talks about the son of man and and in daniel 7 the prophet daniel has a vision of of the various kingdoms of the world being like beasts that, that are just running rampant and doing damage in the world. How is God going to deal with these beasts, with the, the rulers who, who take advantage and trample on people? He will do it through the Son of Man. And here, here's the, the verse. It says, In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. So, so just hold on that for a minute. Um, so he's one like a son of man. In other words, he's humanoid, right? He, he's, he's a human-shaped thing, and yet he's riding the clouds. So he's divinely powered, empowered, but yet one who is a son of man, one like human. And he's distinct from the ancient of days. This is before the scriptures had, had really spelled out the distinction between father, son, and spirit. But we're starting to see it, right? You have the ancient of days and then one like a son of man who comes into his presence. And then it goes on about the son of man. It says he was given authority, glory, And sovereign power, all nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. The Messiah, the Son, came to, to bring his rule on earth. And all who put their trust in Jesus, we are transferred to his kingdom. Transferred from the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom, we now answer to his rule in our our lives. All of these things required a divine Savior who took on humanity. Why did we have to wait for Jesus? It was the gift we needed. It would do the very thing that, that we needed most. If God's salvation was just about straightening up, getting our life together, so that one day we get the reward of a nice afterlife. Well, God maybe could have done that a different way. But that's not what God is looking for. It's not, not his goal. His goal is not just to get us to, to follow rules and to, to um, have some afterlife. His goal is to, to, to be in our lives, is a restored relationship, is for us to be sons and daughters like Jesus. The greatest command, Jesus was asked, you know, what's the most important command? He says, the most important one is this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. If if you ever have to memorize any verse, memorize that one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, let me connect something. What do we, what do we um, when we know God, you know, Jesus came that we might know what God is like. What do we use that to do that? Our mind. Through Jesus, we can love God with our, our, our mind. So as we get to know God, uh, we discover who he is, we grow in our understanding, we, we study and, and see Jesus, and, and as we, we gain more and more knowledge, the more we walk with Christ of what God is like, we, we get excited about thinking about the things of God and, and get excited about things like Sunday school or Bible studies where we, we grow in our depth and, and understanding. We learn to love God with our mind. Um, we also, through Jesus, we draw near to God. He brings God close to us so that God is in our heart. And so we can love God with our heart. We delight in spending time with him in in, in giving him our worship and praise and and singing to him and and just knowing him becomes becomes the joy of our heart. We learn to love God with with our heart through Jesus. And then we also, because he has cleansed our soul, he's brought forgiveness, atonement. Our soul is cleansed so that we can love God with our inner being, so that we can present ourselves and worship to him and, and receive him and know him and know that he's done this work of cleansing. Um, that worship is not just about singing songs for us. It's about presenting ourselves to the, the very God who gave us life. So we love God with all of our soul. And because the incarnation, Jesus is able to bring the rule of God, the kingdom of God to earth, he brings God's rule into our life so that we can love him with all of our strength, so we can serve him with all of our strength, so we can put him into practice in our day to day life and in whatever we do, however, whatever position, job God has called us to, that we can do it in the name of Jesus so we can do it in love for God so we can love God with all our strength. You see, Jesus gave us the command to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. But by coming to us, he gave us the ability to fulfill that command. Without him, we couldn't do it. That is what Christmas is about. That's why it's all here. God wants that restored Relationship. It's what the whole thing is for. So as you think about Christmas and and what what's going on in your life, as you celebrate, as you have gifts and everything, keep that focus in mind. Jesus came that we can learn to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that you loved us so much to send us the very gift we needed your Son, Christ. And I pray that you would be at work in our hearts and lives so that we can respond to him, that we can receive him. And may we bear the message to, to those we encounter this Christmas time of the good news of a Savior. We pray in his name. Amen. We're, we're heading now in our, our worship time to the sharing of together in the Lord's Supper. Before we come, it's, it's important to take time to think about our relationship with God. And so we're going to have a time of, of silent confession. And as I challenged you to think about loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, maybe for this time it's thinking about where, where have you failed to do that? Where have you taken God for granted or taken God's blessings for granted? Where is God calling you? to to love God more and with heart, soul, mind and strength or where have you fallen short? So take this time to do business with God and then we'll present ourselves to God by singing together the song Sanctuary. So let's have this time of silent confession.